with me on that. I uh, have to admit that I'm one of those souls that loves to go in to a store that is carrying a great display of those classical little globes that are filled with white specks and shake every one of them to see if I can get them going. And then to just watch in fascination and to imagine a scene that is filled with such peace. Of course, you know that these are not reality. In fact, snow itself doesn't bring peace with it generally. It might for a day, but just beyond that, it begins to turn into a mess. Any of you who have lived in snow parts of this country will agree on that. But for the moment of looking into a glass bubble and picturing life as it is supposedly meant to be and looking at it from all angles, I become fascinated with that idea of peace. In fact, I believe that this is what we do with Christmas and our celebrations of it in our culture. Our attempts are to create a magical Christmas. And so we snow globe things. We encapsulate Christmas in such a way as to peer in to the idea of what we think should happen. And then we seek to live into that experience. Malachi is this final book of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture. It is only 55 verses in length. You could read it in just a few minutes. These words are for us as we read them and it has been the case from the earliest days of the church. These are words that herald the coming of Christ into the world. In George Frederick Handel's Messiah, he particularly focuses on this passage of scripture that has been brought before us this morning. Perhaps you realized that in the hearing. <clears throat> See, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? The song, as it begins, that selection in Messiah starts with this snow globe effect 
that captures our attention. As the strings of the orchestra and as the soloist puts before us that thought, who can endure the day of his coming? And we're okay with the idea that there will be severity involved. For those who are the enemies of God, we're thinking to ourselves. For those upon whom God is going to work the magic of his idea of Christmas and what the world should be. And yet that song reaches this frenzied and intense place where the violins are insanely active. If you have not heard this song, you need to listen to it today. For the violinist cannot play any more intensely than they are playing. And the soloist begins to explain the nature of who God is. He is like a refiner's fire. The notion of that still can fall on us in a very contained way. For we put the refining process far outside of ourselves. And I must say that preachers have this in intentionality far more than you who are seated in the congregation because we're the ones that are doing the preaching. We're seeking to share the Word of God in a constructive way that you can use, right? Isn't that the way in which this works? How many of you have ever known a preacher that needed to work on a few things himself? I was sharing with someone some advice recently, and I thought it was pretty good advice. A few months later, they came back to me, and guess what they said? I think you need to work on the advice that you gave me. <laughs> it is a severe process, this refining. I've seen it on television. I've never seen it in person where ore was melted down and was placed in a, a furnace for the purpose of separating the pure metal from the dross that was then skimmed off the top as it rose to the surface and then left the purity of metal underneath. But I can only imagine that those that are working in close proximity to this process of refining don't have hair on their arms or eyebrows on their face. It is scathing. 
this fire, this furnace, and the heat that blasts forth. It was supposed to be the glory days. This is the time of Malachi, 400 years before Christ shows on the scene, but some 150 years after the return of Israel from its exile in Babylon. And so when the people who had seen the city of Jerusalem ravaged, and then they themselves had been carried off for this vacation they did not want, after they had been put in servitude, not in their own country, but even in another country, when they were given permission to return, they saw a land that was nothing like they had remembered. And slowly but surely, they began this rebuilding process. In 516, Zerubbabel saw to it the rebuilding of the temple. And then in 458 BC, Ezra led the country in a religious revival. In 445, do you remember that Nehemiah helped with the rebuilding of the walls of this great city? And you would think that at this point that people would look and see that God had done a great thing in that place. But you know what was going on in many minds of those that had known the former glory? We are still not there to the glory days that the prophets had told us God would restore. Some of you will remember, not many of you perhaps, but some of you will remember to the glory days of Pittman Park United Methodist Church. coming in just after those times in which our nation's core had been tested, not only by World War II, but by the Korean conflict, and how somehow it was redefining itself, and there was this attentiveness to be in church. Do you remember? Can you remember those days in which people were not so distracted by the culture around them to be involved in every sporting event, to watch every television set? In fact, televisions were not even very much around then. Some of you may have been the first to get one of those black and white sets back then but it was still almost an oddity and there were fewer distractions. Now, people have always found distractions, but one of the things that you and I think about and remember 
was that the pews of the churches were far more filled with people. I am told by any number of folk who remember when we had to bring in chairs into this sanctuary in order to seat the number of persons that participated in worship. Wouldn't you like to see that happen again? <laughs> what a glory that would be to see the focus on the house of God and the welcoming of God into our daily walk. And Israel was like this, for they had created, by their efforts, they had created that snow globe effect of what life should be. The temple was up, the walls were in place, we were reading the scripture and focusing in. And yet there was this inner disease that had lent itself to rob the people of hope in the glorious presence of God in their midst. And it was the loss of that hope that wearied the Lord. For who needs the busyness even of the church? in that day or in the day of Christ or in this day. God spare us all from the busyness of the church. These verses, however, these verses which we claim as verses during this preparation time for Christmas do carry with them this hope that goes beyond snow globeness and speak to us if we will allow, speak to us words of Advent. Shocking is the nature of this work. For as long as we can keep it all in place, things will be as they have always been. But once we realize that it is not our enemies for whom the refining fire has been given, but it is us, we who are at the center of the church. Once we realize that that refining fire is intended for us, then life begins to be serious. Now, it may be that you are saying to yourself, I have no dross that needs to be refined. Have you gotten to that place in your life where everything is so staid and true 
that you think that the problem with the world is all dependent on what somebody else is doing in it. And so you will complain ad infinitum about what somebody else is doing the wrong way with no sense in your mind or in your heart that you are an accomplice to the problem. I walked into my house one day. I'd been there for a few minutes and all of a sudden I realized that somebody had tracked all over my kitchen floor. I mean, it was obvious. There was stuff on it that shouldn't be there. There was mud. And I was thinking, how could this happen that somebody had walked and didn't even know it? That they could come into the house and not even know it? And I thought, I need to talk to Sue about what's on the bottom of her shoes. And as I turned to head in her direction, it occurred to me to check my own shoes. And who was the culprit? But myself. God seeks to be a God of purity. And the way in which that works is for we, his people, to allow him to purify us. John the baptizer poured his heart out there beside the Jordan River, just a couple of pages over in the Bible. We see that he stood there, and when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to join the people that were listening to his sermons, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to see, to flee from the wrath that is to come? Because he knew that those good religious folk were just coming to look in the snow globe. They didn't expect anything to change in them. The problem with the world was what was going on in the lives of everybody else. And you know how Jesus preached in his first sermon, don't you? How he changed up the rules. You've heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. You remember when he said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, I know that there's a long laundry list that if we really reflected for just a moment that you might admit even to me that you have some things that need to be purified out of your life. And I'm not gonna run a laundry list for you. You can do that yourself, but I wanna look at you for just a moment and I'll allow you 
because this works best when it's working both ways, I'll allow you to look into my eyes as well and for us all to ask the question, what is it about our lives that is impure? And are we willing, are we willing to allow Christ's presence among us to purify and to bring holiness? This is a question that needs answering. And even Hobby Lobby cannot do that. It cannot. And you can find a lot of things to look at, pretty things, with lots of scripture passages written on them. But I can tell you one thing. I've never known a soul that was saved in Hobby Lobby. That's not to be critical of what they're doing. I want to continue to look at snow globes. <laughs> but when it gets down to really preparing for Christmas, somebody better be asking the right questions. What is it about who I am that needs to be refined for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's a good thing that our service of Holy Communion begins with the opportunity for us to confess our sin and to receive the Lord's forgiveness. Would you turn to page 12 with me as we share in this precious celebration at the table?